seeing your partner, seeing yourself as whole. And then when that wholeness gets interrupted, you know, which it does, because we're always learning, you can recover your wholeness through the practice of integrity, through the practice, for example, of doing what you say you're going to do and not doing what you say you're not going to do. That's in the impeccable uh, agreements part of integrity. And so each one of those are skills that we noticed over a period of decades. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I am an amazing father, husband, son, friend, leader, lover, and master coach. And I spend every minute of every day helping people live a self-led life after alcohol. How's everybody doing? Thank you for joining me today. I know there is a gazillion podcasts out there uh, to listen to and to watch. So I appreciate all of you brothers and sisters out there for joining me today. Now, we are continuing with Relationship Month here at Strive, okay? Um, and our guest, Kathleen Hendricks, is on the show because of that. Why relationships? Well, I found in my experience that one of the most common reasons we drink alcohol and find it difficult to stop is because of an X, Y, or Z relationship issue, either with ourselves, other people, or God, right? So if you really want to live a self-led life after alcohol, you're going to need to up your game in the relational literacy department. Take myself, for example, right? So I stopped drinking around 2007, 2008, something like that. Uh, and I thought that when I stopped drinking, that I had somehow become some sort of world famous, amazing, incredible guru because I didn't drink anymore. And I saw the light and I saw life as differently and all that kind of stuff. And then as recently as last year, 2021, my wife Liza and I sat down and we had a conversation about how um, life would look if we were not together anymore. Um, why? Uh, because I was continually showing up in my ego. I was continually showing up um, in my parts. I was continually showing up in immature masculine and immature feminine toxic energy, right? I was not able to show up uh, for Liza, right? And it was a real wake-up call for me because it was like, it doesn't matter how many days of sobriety I've logged up if I'm being a complete and utter cock on a daily basis in my relationships with people. So that led to me joining the Elementum Coaching Institute in 2021. One, and thanks to coaching and mentorship by the likes of Preston Smiles, Stefanos Sifandos, Alexi Panos, and Christine Hasler, I received hundreds of hours of coaching, coached people for hundreds of hours, and now I am spending more and more time in my self-energy, which means I am less triggered by my beautiful wife and my beautiful children, and I can hold space for them, I can listen to them, I can witness them, and I can allow them to express their emotions and their feelings without me getting activated and making life about me, okay? So learning everything there is to learn about living a self-led life is what we're all about at Strive, right? And if you do that, you won't need to drink alcohol. But if you focus on quitting alcohol, who's to say you're going to miss, like I did, the really important work of how am I supposed to show up in this world, on this planet, in the most majestic version of myself that I can do, okay? And one aspect of relationships that I've always been really keen to chew the fat on is longevity in relationships. Um, I was one of those people in my first marriage. We were married for 15 years together for about 20. At that time, when my wife asked me for a divorce, I would have stayed in that relationship miserable and lonely and upset um, and not getting my needs met and not able to satisfy the needs of my wife at the time for a long time, just because I was on that path of least resistance and I wasn't able to get out of it. And my role models, my mum and my dad, who have been married, I don't know, how old am I, 48? So they've been married for nearly 50 years, right? Um, their proof personified that you can be in a marriage for 50, 60, 70 years and not really um, engage in that really beautiful connection that is possible between two human beings, right? So I am really interested in learning how the hell do you end up 
In this day and age, married to somebody for 50, 60 years, be happy, be sexually active and not have any conflict. And that is why I turned to Katie Hendricks. Um, Katie Hendricks or Kathleen Hendricks is the chief creative officer and director of training at the Hendricks Institute. Kathleen is an evolutionary catalyst, contextual disruptor, and freelance mentor who has been a pioneer in the field of body intelligence and conscious loving for 50 freaking years. Katie has authored or co-authored with her husband Gay more than 40 books and counts an appearance on Oprah in her back catalogue of interview experiences. And I'm no Oprah, but we were born on the same day. Now, I'm currently reading Conscious Loving Ever After, a book co-authored by Katie and Gay, uh, and I'm really enjoying it, okay? And so go out and buy that, uh, one of her other 40-odd books. Uh, Katie and her husband, Gay, are rolling out The Playground. Um, it's a monthly 90-minute Zoom event exploring the frontiers of relationship, and you can find more information about that, plus all their books and their courses and a ton of free material over at the Hendricks Institute at www.hendricks.com. Dot com. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Kathleen Hendricks. So Katie, welcome to the show. And I just want to let you know, you're the first uh, wife and husband pairing I've ever had on the 1000 Days Sober podcast in a decade. Well, this is actually not surprising because although Gay and I, we just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. Wow. So we've been, and everything that we share about relationship are practices that we use every day. So I know that what we're up to really works for people. But one of the very first things that we heard, in fact, when we were going on Oprah, they wanted to know which one of us was the speaker. Because they, <laughs> they, at first they said, we just want to have one of you. They had yeah. been used to having a man come on and talk about relationship. And we said, hey, no, look, look, we're we're in partnership. So we're both here. We're both speaking. So we are, I think, one of the very few relationship experts, one who've been together this long mm. and have been teaching together and are still <clears throat> happily in love and creating together. So and that, that's where I would like to start because that, that's really what I wanted to explore is um, longevity in relationships and, and not just last in the course of time for the sake right, of it. Right, just kind of. <laughs> yeah, because you're, because you're in love and because there is a deep connection with the person that you're enjoying life with. And then I, I like this idea of rebirthing. I, I think I'm going through a rebirthing of a relationship now. So let's start by just describing your relationship with Gay then. You've been together for 40 years. Congratulations. How Thank do you. you. Actually, 42. How you keep, 42. How do you keep that spark? Well, one of the things that we want people to know is that relationships are to be enjoyed. They're a source of nourishment. They're a source of energy. They're a source of creativity. Most people think of relationships as something you have to work on. Hmm. And that's something that we found really, I mean, it's so prevalent, that stereotype. There, um, there's commitment and engagement and practice, but I don't consider it work. I consider it a fuel source as we're appreciating each other. We're taking healthy responsibility. That means moving from blame to wonder. And we're really focusing on being real with each other. But we're also focused on how can we support each other in expanding our creativity. So we look at relationship as a source of a blossoming, not only for ourselves, but for our family, our community, and the wider community. And that conscious relationships and loving relationships are a source of nourishment for not only for you, but they ripple out. And when we have this whole working on, I think that that's based primarily in fear that mm -hmm. we're, we learn like, oh, you know, you can't, you got to not, you can't really trust, you know, you have to kind of keep things close to your best. Um, you got to keep some secrets because you got to keep the mystery going. There's all kinds of mythology around 
the other, that the relationship is between two others that basically have to have this tension in order to create attraction. Mm -hmm. And that's a mythology that we think really puts people into criticism and blame and distance with each other. That what really works instead is I step in and I'm here and I'm sharing myself, but I'm also letting you in. Mm. I think that that's one of the keys to longevity, because right now in our relationship with gay, my relationship and our relationship together, we I consider it kind of like a, a swimming pool and we're both enjoying swimming. We have our own strokes that we're making, but we're enjoying being in the pool together. We're appreciating each other, whatever what the other is doing, but we're the pool. We share mm. that source of nourishment with each other by primarily by appreciating each other, by being willing to continue to reveal essence and using our relationship as a way to discover rather than as a way to nap. Most mm. people think of a relationship as you get in and then you sort of lean on each other and one person goes, okay, now it's your turn. Okay, now it's your turn. Or it's a control struggle. You know, I'm going to be in charge. No, I'm going to be in charge. But it can really be a meadow, a garden where you're both planting and you're both growing and you're both sharing what you are co-creating together. So we really, um, you know, the mythology on relationship is still really prevalent. In fact, one of the, there we have a comedian here in, uh, uh, in the U.S. whose name is Bill Maher, and hmm. he's a little, you know, relationship phobic anyway. But he'll talk about the jokes that he make are, oh, I saw those people bickering and I was just wondering how long they'd been married. Yeah. You know, so the, all of those stereotypes we found really prevent us from getting this just this enormous gift of close relationship. I think it's it's the magic that everybody can enjoy uh, in uh, the possibilities of close relationship. Do you know, I've I've never really given any significant thought to the societal conditioning, stroke mythology of relationships before. I I you know I'm a big student of understanding how I get wired in certain ways. I've never put it into relationships before. Now you say it, I I actually have a belief. And this may change after we've been speaking, <laughs> but I, I I actually have a belief that. I'm always going to have conflict with Liza. The secret is to uh, repair those conflicts in a most healthy uh, and beautiful way. The relationship with Liza will always be difficult. It will always be hard. And then I, I read your book, Conscious Loving, and you're like, yeah, I haven't had a fight with gay for a decade. And No, and it's now about 25 years. <laughs> right, because the book was so long ago. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, I have a a paradigm that is perhaps not as healthy as it could be when it comes to relationships. Well, it's a very, it's a very normal mm. um, kind of belief because that's what we're taught that, yeah. that, you know, men and women are fundamentally different and, you know, they're, they're scary and you can't really know them. And we also prevent, we prevent women from, experiencing their anger and we prevent men from experiencing sadness mm. and we prevent both men and women from seeing each other as allies rather than fundamentally as enemies yeah. you know like when my my aunt and my mother were talking one time and she was talking about well I got my man so you know it's like I captured him and so you know I don't really need to worry or really think about you know, I can let myself go. There are all these conversations about, you know, the woman has to, you know, is in charge of the relationship. And if there's something wrong, it's her job to fix it. So, I mean, there are probably hundreds of mythologies, but the big one is that relationship is hard work. And that, I just want to tell you, that's just nonsense. Mm. That relationship can be such a source of joy. Now, if you're not willing to be real, if you're not willing to be authentic, if you're committed to keeping secrets, 
that creates work. Because if I'm withholding something from you, we have a saying that we found to be completely reliable. We call it withhold, withdraw, project. So if I withhold, like I have a feeling and I don't share it with you, and it could be, it's not the content, it's the action. So if I withhold, I have to withdraw because we're meant as humans to express. Something comes up and we're meant to share it with each other. There are tribes in, there's this one tribe, I forget exactly where it is in the world, but they're so committed to sharing that, and they all sleep together in the long, you know, in one of those long huts. And if somebody wakes up with a joke in the middle of the night, they wake up everybody to share the joke and then everybody goes back to sleep again. So there's a whole different sense of you can use your relationship as a source of ongoing um, nutrition. But if I withhold, then I withdraw. And then from my withdrawn place, you look different. And I forget that I'm doing something that is making me distant from you, and it looks like it's you. So that's the projection. So I withhold something, then I withdraw, then you look different. And then that that cycle is one that we have helped people to complete uh, completely change into, I feel something, I share it. It's like a one out breath thing. You know, I felt angry when I saw the coffee grounds in the kitchen. (sighs) And then you're back. It's not that you've repaired. It's that you're weaving more and more of a space where you can be yourself, share what's going on and be received as a partner in discovery Mm -hmm. rather than an enemy or a competitor Uh, The things that we've learned in relationship, we can learn new things. Uh, It's not, (laughs) we, uh, so it's not etched in stone, but one of the, I think there, there are a couple, there are two biggies. One is people have learned that they're not supposed to be authentic, that it's Mm -hmm. dangerous to be authentic. And what we have found is that love blooms in this place of realness. If I can reveal to you who I am and be received, oh, then I begin to open up more and more of that whole inner landscape. And that's where the juiciness and the variety comes from. I'm learning something. So on a daily basis, like I'll be learning something, I'll discover something, and then I'll share it with Gay. And then that amplifies the aliveness and the enjoyment that we both get to share. Mm -hmm. But the second thing that is the number one relationship killer is blame and criticism. Mm -hmm. That the mythology is that if you're in a close partnership, that's a license to take them on as your own little improvement project, you know, your own little fixer-upper. And so we, and this is especially for women, they're taught that the man is kind of, he's a little raw around the edges, you know, but, you know, when I get a hold of him, you know, we'll kind of polish him up and make him, you know, suitable for civilized, you know, society. And that's, you know, that's a mythology that's been going on for a very long time. So Gay and I decided that we were going to end blame and criticism. We were just going to go cold turkey because Mm. the research is just so clear that, you know, people like my mother used to say, you know, she'd say, I'm only telling you this for your own good. And I'd go, "Uh oh, I knew right (laughs) away that I was going to get some criticism. But that's what we're we're taught that, okay, you get your partner and then you know, you get to criticize them. And we, Mm -hmm. and we have found that that is the number one um, relationship. It dims, it lessens the attraction. It lessens the sense of being vulnerable with each other, being able to open up to each other. And it amplifies adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And adrenaline is I think the most addictive, well, it's the most addictive substance on the planet, but it's also adrenaline is what people use to fuel their relationship rather than love and presence and creativity uh, and sharing with each other. Mm. So when we stopped, it took us a, a couple of years to really end blame and criticism. And 
so one of the things I learned from that that I'd like to share with your viewers and yeah. listeners is that when you find yourself criticizing, shift right away into appreciation. Because the research is incredibly clear that thriving relationships need a, a ratio of at least five appreciations to every one criticism, not one to one, which is what most of us would think like, you know, right, gosh, you look, you know, uh, you know, you look <clears throat> what, you know, you're, are you going to wear that? But, you know, I, <laughs> but I loved the, the uh, meatloaf that you made today. And we think that that one-to-one, -one, you know, kind of keeps things chugging along, but that actually will, um, will qu more quickly than anything else, destroy your relationship. Wow. And that includes your relationship with yourself. So one of the things we've noticed is that people are looking for love from their partner that they're not willing to give themselves. And so if, if your partner says, well, honey, I thought that was, you know, I thought you just did a great job there. That was, I, don't know, I didn't see anything wrong with that. Then you'll be arguing for what's wrong and not mm. really be taking in your partner's appreciation. One of the ways that I got onto that is that I came home one day from having my haircut and I hadn't told Gay and I walked in and he said, oh, you got your haircut. And I went, oh, what's wrong? And I right. like immediately went to that and I thought, whoa, I've been listening for criticism. Hmm. So that was such a biggie because no matter what he would say to me, if I were listening for criticism, he couldn't break through. So my commitment, I made a really big commitment that just changed everything instead of you're always criticizing me, which is what I was listening for. Mm. I shifted into, I commit to seeing gay as my ally. Mm. I can choose that. I commit to seeing gay as my ally. And as I started opening up to that, he was actually able to appreciate me and I was able to receive it rather than thinking, oh, he just always criticizes me. So I'm going to criticize him. And then that that the criticism is run by adrenaline that's run mm. by fear. Yeah. And when you're in the adrenaline loop, you have to keep escalating. So that's why people they criticize and then somebody else criticizes and then they get into an argument and then there's that sort of explosion of, you know, they have the fight and then they have to recover from that, doing what you call repairing. Mm. And that cycle of adrenaline and then repairing is what gay calls a wargasm that people. A wargasm. A wargasm. I love that one. <laughs> they use that instead of the ongoing nourishment, like having a really wonderful meal that you have time to digest. Adrenaline is like the fast food of relationship. Mm. You know, you get this quick bite, it's not very nourishing and it fades off really. So yeah, then you have to escalate it. You have to have another Hershey bar. You have to have another Hershey bar. And then that gets you all. And I think that's what is primarily going on on the planet right now is that we've been running on adrenaline for a very long time now. And mm. so making the shift to appreciation may at first feel like, oh, this is boring. Where's the juiciness? Where's the variety? But where the variety comes from is that your creativity begins to flourish. In the presence of presence and appreciation, what you really love to do and your own authentic artist begins to emerge mm. and you can support each other for spending more and more time developing your creativity rather than your combativeness. And we've been focused on that for a very long time and we know it works because yeah. we've both gotten, you know, we've, written together. We've written more than 40 books. We've written 12 books together. We've created a, a worldwide coaching program, we, a, a, you know, and are having a wonderful time together mm. with plenty of spaciousness, plenty of enjoyment, not running on adrenaline. So we know it's really possible, but it takes practice. So what the other main thing that I, I wanted to make sure that your viewers know about is the power of commitment.
Mm. We found that commitment takes the place of nagging, you know, of trying to get your partner to do something that you're not doing yourself. That commitment is getting into the pool. And then recommitment, it gets you from where you are to where you want to go. Because people think of commitment as like a one-time deal. Okay, well, I made the commitment, like I got married. I did that, Mm. you know, so that should be sufficient. But what we have found is that it's recommitting that really allows you to uh, flower your relationship. And for me, the big commitment that and recommitment was moving from concealing to revealing. So committing to revealing is a commitment to being authentic, yeah. is to being unedited. And being unedited is one of the biggest joys on the planet, because when you're unedited, that's where humor comes from. That's where play and tossing comes from is, you know, if you if you're unedited, then you can improvise with each other. But if mm. you're trying to fit yourself into a little slot, it throws your timing off with each other. And, you know, Gay used to toss me something and it would hit me like an egg. I go, Poof, and it would just <laughs> fall because I was too scared to toss back and mm. I was too committed to concealing. But after recommitting and recommitting, what I've noticed has opened up is just this flow of creativity. That's Mm. what we live in all the time, is creativity, co-creativity, and the creativity of our relationship together. So I really think that's the big frontier Mm. for all of us, is rather than repeating all of these patterns that we've learned, you know, chasing and being chased and controlling and not wanting to be controlled and all of those things that people think are about relationship, what can replace that is the frontiers of creativity Mm. and creating solutions as well as creating new potentials. So we've been living in that now pretty steadily for, we we say we have, there hasn't been a crossword or any criticism in this century. Okay, folks, I just interrupt this interview between me and Kathleen to give you a great offer, actually. Um, Striver Juliet is offering... 20 free books to anybody who wants to take them. Those books are obviously mine. Uh, The Strive Method, Control Alcohol in 30 Days Before It Controls You for the Next 30 Years. It's a really good book. People who've read it so far, feedback has been really, really tremendous. And Julia has bought 20 of those books, okay, to gift them to you. Now, this is really important, okay? Part of our journey to be someone who doesn't drink alcohol and live a self-led life is to develop the ability to receive. To receive, okay? So this is a gift going out to you. Please email me at thestrivemethod at gmail.com and start that practice in today to receive your free gift from Juliet and myself, okay? Much love. Back to Kathleen Hendrick. Wow. That, I like being able it. to say that. <laughs> that, it, that, it, that that's uh, incredible. And I just want to... Um, witness that and uh, and say that that is really inspiring and it gives me something to grab hold of and you know I've I've noticed myself as I've um, been going through this flow of commitment and recommitment and that when you say that it it, it reminds me a little bit of integrity it yes. reminds me a little bit of slipping out of integrity and then slipping back into integrity and seeing in my partner the more I do it, um, it's not like she gets frustrated with me anymore. She can see growth. It's like, I see this guy's trying less than this guy's never going to get it, you know? Right, exactly. And what I would do in in my own mind, and I encourage you to replace trying with engaging. Engaging. So, Mm -hmm. or, or engaging or practicing, because trying means, you know, to me means I'm, I'm not quite getting it. You know, yeah. I'm trying, but I'm not quite getting it. And so you're you're clearly practicing and you're yes. learning and discovering and then integrating. And those things really make a difference in your body, in your feelings, in your interactions, and in your own juiciness. Mm. So it, just like you're sprouting new leaves. And mm. those leaves, you know, they may be buds at the beginning, but they do bloom in a way that's quite palpable. 
Mm, yeah. Um, you oh, said it. Our, yeah. And Lee, I just wanted to mention, you said yeah. integrity and integrity in our, our book. Let's see if you can see this conscious loving ever after, which is our latest relationship book. We have a whole section on integrity yeah. because integrity is a big focus for us. All of our work is really based in integrity. And uh, on one of our websites, foundation for conscious living, we have a whole section on integrity and the practice of integrity. It's not woo-woo. It really are, are practical skills that you could use every day that allow you to experience wholeness. Mm. Because integrity actually means an unbroken wholeness or totality with nothing missing. Mm. So the sense of you know, experiencing your partner as whole seeing your partner, seeing yourself as whole. And then when that wholeness gets interrupted, you know, which it does, because we're always learning, you can recover your wholeness through the practice of integrity, through the practice, for example, of doing what you say you're going to do and not doing what you say you're not going to do. That's in the impeccable uh, agreements part mm. of integrity. And so each one of those are skills that we noticed over a period of decades. Oh, when I do this, wow, I, I open up much more to my own experiencing myself as whole, but also seeing you as whole and responsible rather than the, the slipping into le that less than that people get into. And also the big thing that I've seen people do is their commitment to being right. Mm. I'd say that's probably, uh, you know, right up there in the top five of the problems that people get into is that they prefer to be right rather than to relate. And mm. how that shows up is you get that burst of adrenaline, that, ha, 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 you know, <laughs> I'm right, you know, and you're wrong. I'm right. And you can just, you know, feel if you think about a time that you've gotten to be right, you get that adrenaline hit. Mm. But that's all you get mm. because that adrenaline, you know, it's already gone away. You know, that moment of ha 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 being yeah, right. I've, I've not, been there. It's not very long lasting. And so fueling your relationship in a different way, I think, is the primary um, job of our time to see other people as whole rather than less than because that's run by fear. And I think fear is the huge problem on the planet right now, that underneath mm. any problem that's going on, it's being run by fear. So we also have developed a whole process we call unlocking the fear code that shows people from a, a somatic perspective, very easy body practices, body intelligence practices that move you from fear to presence. Mm. Because when I'm in fear, you become the enemy. So when mm. I'm in fear, I go into my reptilian brain and then you look like the enemy. Mm. And this happens so much in relationship that if I'm in fear, I think, oh, you're, you've been blaming me. It's your problem. You're the bad guy. And then the other thing is if I'm in fear, I can't think. Mm. Because you're I, in I, reptilian brain. Right. I can't use my cognitive You don't have brain. access. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically people just recycle the same na 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 from fear until they move from fear into presence. Mm. So what we do, what Gay and I have done for many, many years is taken what we call a body intelligence. Other people now call it somatic. There's a lot of somatic trauma release, all of that. We started playing with that, you know, over 40 years ago. And mm. so we have a body of practices that look really simple and they are very simple, but they're very reliable. They give you a foundation of being able to enjoy being in a body, feeling your feelings, um, enjoying your partner uh, and having that flow of aliveness. That's quite, it's quite tangible. You can really mm. feel it when it get when it gets moving. And when that's not moving, it's that's one of the biggest miseries on the planet. 
you know, like the, you know, always in a movie, you'll see people lying in bed together and they're both sort of looking up at the ceiling or they're turned from each other. So, you know, that, you know, they're not experiencing that, yeah, that not. flow of aliveness. Well, you know, I think when, when I was reading about integrity in the book and I noticed that the conscious leadership group and the 15 commitments of conscious leadership, they, they lean heavily on your work and integrity is one of their 15 commitments, which they got from you and gay. Uh, and you talk about um, integrity, not being a moral issue, but being an energetic issue. You know, totally. And that's surprising to most people because Mm. I think of of um, our energy is like an energy hose that runs up the middle of you. And that energy hose is fed by your ability to give and receive more and more love every day. But there are ways that people kink the hose Mm. so that you're not able to enjoy that flow of your own aliveness. And what we've been talking about, criticizing, being right, being in fear, those all kink the hose. And when you experience unkinking the hose by saying something that's unarguable in the moment, appreciating in the moment, you can feel the flow of aliveness and your partner and your colleagues. So this isn't just about romantic relationships. This is about our relationships with friends, colleagues, family. You're, you get that fuel and that mm. juiciness that immediately becomes a, it's like tossing, uh, it's like tossing a ball or tossing a balloon or tossing fireworks that allow you to enjoy that together rather than being in your own little space. <laughs> Let me ask you a question on that unkinking of the hose then, because sure. um, in our community, there's a lot of people who are afraid to, they're afraid of the gush. Yes. So what's that well, about? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great, I was just remembering, we used to live in Colorado and we had a mountain house that uh, we would go, I mean, it was up at 9,000 feet and that we would uh, go um, to on weekends sometimes. And we had turned the water off through the winter And when we came to turn it on again in the spring, you know, it hadn't, you know, we hadn't used it. We turned that on again. You could not believe the gunk that came out of that faucet before it cleared up. So if people withhold, they store up. Hmm. So that stuff that you're not saying doesn't go anywhere. It, It goes into your own system. It starts creating distress. Um, it starts creating disease, it starts creating headaches, it, but mostly it creates distance. Mm. So the, the not sharing is the, one of the biggest sources of kinking the hose. Mm. And we think that, oh, this is just a little thing. You know, it's not, you know, the little white lies. We have found that there's really, you know, and uh, Tom Peters would say there's no such thing as a minor lapse of integrity. There's no such thing as a small withhold. Hmm. It's not the content. It's the act of withholding. And so you when build you're it like you're building a habit, it, it becomes who you are. I am a withholder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm withholding. Be- and then it looks like one of the common ones is I'm withholding because you're not safe. Hmm. Because if I share. So if I've been withholding and then I open the faucet, what first comes out can be a gusher. Hmm. And we've seen that with people who've had, like, I'm thinking of one couple where they've been having distress for like four years and they came in to see us and we said, okay, what happened four years ago? And she, you know, as it came out, finally, she had had an affair with his best friend four years ago that, of course, Mm. she had not told him about. Yeah. So that she had been withholding with only So the gusher was her sharing that, but it was also the gusher that came back from him, mm. you know, of of his feelings about the withhold and the time that she'd been pulled. So it creates a kind of erosion. It can be, um, you can reintegrate from that, uh, and, but it takes, you know, that takes some work I, and some I, excavating. I, 
quitting alcohol would be a piece of cake if alcohol was celery. If I told you to stop drinking celery today, you'd be like, okay, no problem, I can do that because you wouldn't have any craving. Today, go to www.1000daysober.com and sign up for the Ultimate Alcohol Craving Control System, our mini course which will provide you with all the tools and everything you need to be able to sit in your absolute misery without drinking alcohol, okay? $97 worth every single cent. Get over to www.1000daysober.com and purchase the ultimate alcohol craving control system. It will not let you down. You will love it and you will help you to surf through your feelings without drinking alcohol. Now, back to Kathleen. I noticed as well that when I see couples who engage in this withholding pattern, it it, it affects them physically. Absolutely. Please, please, please don't say I'm crazy. I see them age. I see them look. I don't know. How can I say this? They go from looking beautiful to looking haggard and stroked like the witch or the wizard in the they look yes. gnarly and nasty and upset and angry yes and twisted up and yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely so i would never argue with you about that because we see that in fact yeah. that's how we are often working with people we have something that we call flags we wrote a book called at the speed of life which is about mm-hmm. body-centered uh techniques would be called somatic techniques today and so we're always looking at the difference between what people are saying and what they're doing. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I remember I started noticing that early in my life when uh, my mother shared with me something that her mother shared with her, which was, but darling, I love you. <laughs> Punch of the fist. You're right. So it's a little bit of incongruency. And so what you're noticing is the mismatch between the misalignment between what people think they are expressing and what they're really expressing through their body. And for Mm. us, that's a doorway into what the issue is. So the issue could be we haven't both committed or I'm not willing to reveal my feelings and hear your feelings. I'm not willing to um, see you as an ally. So there's certain, you know, I'm more interested in controlling you than I am partnering with you. So there's certain, there are about six or seven really big, like areas that people get into trouble in their relationships, but they're really all about that moment of, I'm not going to engage. I'm going to kink the hose. So there are a couple of things that we notice. Absolutely. Especially as people are getting older, they do something we call folding up. They literally start folding up because you have to keep your body from moving in order to keep that stuff from coming out. Just keeping it low down. Yeah. Yeah. You're keeping it down. You're folding it in. So people get less and less energetic because they've also kinked their energy host. So they're not Mm -hmm. getting as much juice. And so that's where a lot of disease comes from, from the drama of not lying and not taking responsibility. So people tend to blame each other and get into the blame game rather than going, hmm, I wonder wonder how I'm contributing to this. So I'm wondering how I can create something different right now than this pattern that we've gotten into. That that what you just said there, I think has been the single most profound philosophy in my relationship. I mean, it's something, I remember like 11, 12 years ago now when I stopped drinking, one of the first self-help books I picked up was Jack Canfield and the success principles. And his first yep. chapter was 100% responsibility. And I remember reading it thinking, Oh, that's novel. But now like all those years, like a decade later, I really get it. And now whenever I get into a fight with Liza, or it could be anybody else. I'll, I know that I'm in that reptilian brain. So I, I know that I got to just, I just got to, I got to find a way of getting myself calm back into social engagement system. And then afterwards, I need to think to myself, how can I take responsibility? How can I take accountability? I used to say, how can I be wrong instead of how can I be right? But I (laughs) 
I know. I changed it. I changed That's a it terrible out. bargain. <laughs> I know. I changed it to how can I take responsibility? And and it worked with, with a but. And I'll, I'll share the but with you. So Yeah, please do. It, it worked so well. Like all of a sudden, I saw my wife, Liza, light up with me coming to her saying, I want to apologize for yesterday, even to the degree where Liza would end up saying stuff like, oh, uh, you don't need to apologize. And I was like, no, I, I do need to apologize and take responsibility. And then came the but for a long period of time. And it's not as prevalent now as I keep doing, keep not doing the work. I'm not going to say doing the work. Keep practicing. <laughs> right, exactly. Keep practicing. I got, I got to a stage of resentment. Yes. I would be like, hang on a minute. And I and we talk about this loss in our community. If I keep taking accountability, when are you going to take accountability? Right. And, and now I'm like, Lee, that's not what it's about, brother. Nope. Right. Um, no, but it, talk, but talk about that. You must see it all the time. Oh, we see it all the time. In fact, I think th that this is the the big issue on the planet. If humans are going to continue to be here as a species, we need to learn how to respond rather than react. Responsibility, when you're truly taking responsibility, when I am, it brings a burst of joy. Because yes. when, I'm, when I'm taking responsibility, I'm seeing the connection between things. I did this, this happened. Oh, oh, I didn't tell you about my being angry. I broke a glass, you stepped on the glass. Oh, oh, so that, of taking responsibility, I think is the big, this is our curriculum. Can I ask you a question humans. on that then? Sure. So I feel like you, you just described, I've never heard it described like that before. I am becoming addicted to taking responsibility because it fills me with nice, warm feelings that I'm on the right path and that this is the right thing to do to promulgate a beautiful relationship with my wife or my kids. But there are people who don't feel that joy. There are people who are still stuck in that. We, we call them the injustice warriors. They, they, they have a, 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 the value of justice is really high for them in their values it, hierarchy. So they, yeah, look me at, too. they look at everybody else around them, though, and they feel a sense of injustice, which leads yes. to resentment. Yeah. Yes. So that's a version of the blame game. Mm. So if I if if I haven't got justice held with wholeness. So justice is about everybody being able to be a player. Mm. Justice is about equality and being everybody having the facility to create a life and to to co-create. So injustice is almost always run by fear. So remember in fear we become unequal. And I think that that's what people get caught in is that I'm more justicey than you are. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of, you know, like the the cancel culture um makes a mistake there in my opinion of of not allowing people to find the integrity moves that will allow them to integrate into wholeness. Mm. For example, how can I create something different with you than the thing that we've been doing? Mm. Which isn't about, see, we don't recommend, I don't think you'll find it in any of our books. We do not recommend apologizing mm. because apologizing is basically saying, I did something that I'm not willing to take responsibility for. I'm going to apologize and then I'm just going to continue doing the same thing again. Right. So the, you know, apologies and what I'm going to do better, you know, I'm going to try to do better, but I don't do better, but I'll just apologize again. So what we want people to do is to take radical responsibility. That means at the root. Mm. And if I'm in fear, I cannot take responsibility because I'm being run by my reptilian brain. So the first thing is I need to step out of fear into presence. Mm. And we have a whole somatic way to do that, that people can learn to do. It's very simple, but very powerful. It starts with what I call fear melters, which is basically moving yourself out of the fear stance and into 
flow again so you can feel the juiciness of your own aliveness supporting you and, and you're not caught in those old patterns. But if I'm if I've got if I've had an argument with you to take radical responsibility would be looking at where did I learn this particular pattern that I'm enrolling you in? Mm. because it's familiar to me, what can I do that's completely different than that? Mm. So rather than apologizing, I would say, okay, hmm, okay, I learned that. Oh, I can just remember some interactions between my mom and dad, and he would retreat, and then she would run after him. And, oh, that's where I learned that. So now I'm going to create a completely new way of being together with you that allows us to enjoy co-creating. So we take a pattern and we don't just sort of chip away at it. We obliterate it. We obliterate (laughs) it. He's going to take a hacksaw to it. (laughs) Yes, we we go off with its head. You know, we do an Alice in Wonderland move. I like that. Um, Isn't part of this, though, like when we... When we talk about fear melters and um, um, giving people advice of, hey, we've got to be more authentic and um, and we've got to take radical responsibility, is is there um, the fear again that comes into this of um, how I'm going to be received? So let's say you're in a relationship with someone and you've got a history of fighting and then here I am as your coach saying to you, look, You've just got to be open. You've got to be vulnerable. You've just got to tell the <laughs> truth. You've got to communicate in nonviolent communication or whatever. And they're like, there's no way that's going to happen because when I say that, he's going to say X. Right. Right. So what we would do is first, I never give advice mm. unless I've asked. Mm-hmm. So we, in our work and when we're training coaches, we have them create what we call the contract. And the contract is basically after you've heard the issues, are you willing to resolve this? Mm. Do you both commit to resolving this? And are you willing to have me assist you? Are you willing to have me assist you in opening up and shifting patterns so that you can actually experience each other as partners, as allies? Is this something that you're interested in? Because otherwise, you know, you know, I'm just throwing spaghetti at the wall because, you know, they're, they're within the old commitment of we're really more interested in blaming each other or we're just too scared. Or we have a history because a lot of people have a history of seeing awful relationships, but they don't have models. When Gay and I got together, there was literally no models mm. for a good relationship. <laughs> we yeah. so we just said, I well, okay, you. we're just gonna we're gonna make it up. Yeah. So the 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 thing that really works is you commit, you co-commit, you you take a step. You don't, you know, you don't climb, you don't jump the mountain, you take a step. And then you integrate that like, oh, how's that? How's that working? How's that feeling to each of us? And then you co-commit when instead of instead of just going off down and going through the same pattern, when you start getting stuck, you recommit, you make an adjustment and you recommit. You know, that old there's a drawing about uh, it's got two parts. It's a cartoon where how people think they get from here to here, you know, it's like a straight line Mm -hmm. and how actually people get from here to here is like, you know, a Brillo pad. (laughs) So we, we forget that how people learn is by trying on something new and letting it integrate and Mm. then adding to that. So if you're planting a seed, you don't plant the seed and then do the fertilizer and then, you know, pour all the water in it and then just go away. You know, you come back and you really are continuing to be with the growth and what's happening. It's like your own little bonsai tree. You know, you're doing a little trimming, a little adjusting. Mm, I had one of them once. You know, I, you know, I've been, I've had two major relationships. So I was married for 20 years and then I'm now close to coming up to 10 years of marriage soon. And 
I can't be honest, like for the vast majority of that time, if someone would have said to me, Leah, are you, are you a good husband and a good dad? I, I would have said, yeah. Like I, I honestly felt like I was doing the right things. And at sure. the same time, I was in relationships. With, I, I, I was in relationships with women who were deeply unhappy um, because of some of the way that I was relating and behaving and some of the things I was doing, some of the things I, I wasn't doing. Um, how can we be so blind as human beings to our own? I, I know it is kind of a challenge. <laughs> it's, it's incredible, like you know that well, I could. I I think most most people. Well, there's a. I think the culture, our our cultures, have gotten. First of all, we have so many people now. Hmm. That, that we're not able to work things out in the way that we used to when we just had tribes and you no know, family connections and everybody knew everybody. And so you, you, you might have patterns, but there, there was a way of seeing who everybody you're connected to. We just have so many people now that, and, and so many, uh, you know, different groups of people doing different things. But the, the big thing that occurs to me is that Society itself does not want you to be awake because then you're not as malleable. You're not going to be anxious. And when you're anxious, you buy stuff. So the economy works on anxiety and fear. And also, you're just not quite good enough. But if you yeah. buy this or you do this or you go learn this, then maybe you're going to be like more attractive. You're going to get, you know, you'll be able to keep your man. You'll be able to have her not nag you as much. But it's all built on dissatisfaction. Yeah, scarcity, uh, isn't it? It's this, it's this, it's this yeah. scarcity mindset that drives you. I just had another light. I had a light bulb moment. I answered my own question. All oh, right. <laughs> I answered my own question. I think what happened for me and why I why I was so blind to it was my my paradigm of relationships. So my mum and dad, we get this right now. So uh, my mum and dad have been married around the same time as you and Gay, right? Around 40, 50 years, right? No, it's too many. 30, 40 years, <laughs> right? Either way, 30, 40 years. Um, but my mom and dad will be the first ones to admit that they're, they're not like, they're not happy, right? They're, they don't like, they don't have a, a deeply connected relationship. They're with each other because that's what people like us do, right? Exactly. So I, I grew up looking at that. So when people exactly. say, are you a good husband i'm like i'm probably thinking well yeah i'm still in the marriage right exactly i haven't left i haven't so left good. and so i'm, I'm a good provider and you know. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine me saying that to liza now hey what are you moaning about i'm still bringing in the money i'm still yeah here. hey what have you left. got to complain about you got a new refrigerator you got <laughs> dude you wait until i tell her about wargasms she'll like that one she'll um, like that one what was I going to say to you? I, I want to, yeah, I want to touch upon this one if it's all right with you. So sure, please. I've been blessed with the, with the art of authenticity. So I'm, I'm, I'm able to talk about anything, right? Like anything with yeah. anybody. I don't even have yeah. to trust. I don't even have to trust anybody to talk to them. But so when it comes to my relationship with Liza, I am as authentic as they come. But one day, Liza said to me when we were having a very open, beautiful, loving um, uh, practice of an relationship, <laughs> she, she said to me, look, Lee, <clears throat> I appreciate that you tell me everything, but I don't want to know everything. There, there are some things I don't want to know. And when she told me that, I felt I, I dipped below the line. Uh -huh. And I, I went into the blame and justice. I, I took it as a threat. Today, I recognize that I have Liza, I have female friends, and I have male friends, and I can tell them all everything. And I'm going to tell this person this, this person this, and this person this. And it gives me the nice, it gives me a nice balance. And I, I had to learn to respect Liza's boundaries that she didn't want me spurting out every sexual thought that was in my head because um, she didn't want that. That was her boundary and that it, it it was her thing and it didn't mean that she didn't like or love me. I just wanted to see if you wanted to comment on that. Well, 
What I would want to do is to check is that if I were taking on that particular viewpoint, does that kink my hose? So the the kinks my hose exactly exactly. So the what we've come to, what Gay and I, and we for many years. So we basically we have no secrets. Mm-hmm. So we're willing to talk about anything, you know, in the middle of Yankee Stadium and doesn't, you know, we're we have no secrets. And mm-hmm. and um, and I'm for me, my authenticity is absolute. Mm-hmm. So I am I will tell what is so like what I now call speaking from discovery. I will speak what I'm experiencing anytime, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And. And that's the kind of relationship that I want because that's the juiciest. Mm. See, that's where the the flow of your intuition, your imagination, your creativity, they all came out of the same pipe. So your feelings, your sexuality, your creativity, they all come out of the same hose. And so if you kink the hose in one area, you've kinked it. Yeah, the two areas for me, and, and this is, I'm, envious a little bit of like you and gay one of the kinks in my hose is um i am so passionate about my work yes and liza finds that it overwhelms her nervous system uh-huh yeah and so she's like lee you too and maybe that's my adrenaline maybe my maybe my practice is sometimes to kind of like chill out a little bit but I, i'm gonna be honest you know and i and i've been honest with liza there is a part of me that's like I feel censored. Like, I don't want to be censored. I just want to talk about whatever. Exactly. Uh, I just got to be careful, though. It's not my little child having a little tantrum. Well, see, I, 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 you know, it sounds like you're, you're in the middle of something that, that you're on the way to resolving in a new way. Cause it does feel like a pebble. It's like, it's mm. a pebble in your shoe right now. It's mm. a little bit, you know, yeah. it takes some energy away. Gay and I, when we got together, we made a decision from the very beginning that we were going to go all the way. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to get into this unless we could just go all the way on this journey of what is possible in close relationship. And right now we're, cause we've been, and it's all from practice, but we've been practicing such that our days are just this mixture of riding creative waves, co-creative waves. You know, there'll be stuff that happens, you know, like it's generally something with the plumbing. You know, there's always something, you know, <laughs> Different that hoses. In, in the business of life that needs yeah. to be handled. But we, we handle that in a way that we can always feel that flow of connection and appreciation and being for each other that l- we're living in love. Mm. all the time. Mm. One of the benefits now is that we have the same thought at the same time. Right. Very reliably. Because you're, you're super attuned. We're super you, attuned. You, you have you have the same energy. I haven't interviewed you both. You you it's so funny. You see some couples and they they look like they they look like they came from the same mom and dad. They just got the same energy. They kind of look alike like you you and Gay definitely got that going. I'm telling you, we we it is our relationship that created yeah. that. Well, we said earlier, you, didn't we? That if you if you're really narky at your wife all the time, you're going to end up with a narky face. And if you're very beautiful and loving, again, it's going to mold your energy and your face and your yeah. physicality. Yes. Well, what a beautiful place to end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it has been wonderful talking to you. I'm yeah, what a joy to talk book. to you, Lee. Yeah, I've loving reading your book. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, tell the, the people who are listening, what are you up to? And how can where, where how do you want them to consume more of what you're doing at the Hendrix? Well, the big thing I'd like to let people know about, um, for you guys, it's unfortunately going to be in the middle of the night. We have something new that that Gay and I are doing. It's called Gay and Katie's Playground. Oh, so okay. once we're, we're global, we got people all over the place. You're oh, right. super. Okay. Yeah. So the big thing that Gay and I have just started is Gay and Katie's Playground. So uh-huh. once a month, we have an hour and a half gathering where Gay and I will talk about some relationship concepts or some practice, and then we do an experiential activity with people, and uh, and then uh, we do um, kind of mini sessions with people they can ask questions and we so people never know quite what we're going to do but what you get to 
what you get to do is what I call osmosing. Mm -hmm. You get to see gay and me being together and the, the flow of this love space that we've created, you can get it. You can just kind of slurp it up. So that's one thing I'd like people to check out. And they can, they can, you can find out about that on our uh, website, uh, Hendrix.com in our seminars. It's called Gay and Katie's Playground. So that's one thing I'd like people to know about. But we also on our foundation for consciousliving.org, that's our charitable foundation. It's a full of practices that are all and videos mm. that are all free. And free classes that you can take to learn how to expand into some of these uh, concepts more fully. So oh, I'd, I'd like people to go and check it out. Yeah, check it out, folks. And uh, if you've got any questions whatsoever for Katie, just email me at thestridemethod.gmail.com. That would be great. Katie, thank you for being such an inspiration. Your work is the test of time. I'm laughing when you're talking about somatics. We dealt with that 40 years ago. Yeah, 40 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are you on about? I love it. Have a beautiful time and uh, catch you again in the future, okay? All right. Thank you so much. Well, 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 I hope you enjoyed that. Now, before you go running away, um, Kathleen is married to gay. She was talking about gay. And if you don't know who gay and Kathleen Hendricks is, uh, then they are legends in the world of uh, self-help and uh, relationships and all that kind of jazz. And Gay has been a guest on the podcast. So scroll down the 1000 Days Sober Podcast hit list and you'll find uh, me talking to Gay Hendricks about living in the genius zone. Really good podcast to check it out. Please, 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 if you enjoyed uh, that podcast episode, please share it with somebody and go to your podcast uh, provider and uh, a platform and just give us a review and a rating. I'd really appreciate that. Um, if you would like to send somebody our way, um, we have a great affiliate program going where you can make a bit of money while making a difference in the world. Uh, just write to me at thestridemethod.gmail.com and I will tell you more about that. Um, if you are interested in learning from me, uh, Lee Davy, Master Coach, recently graduated from the Elementum Coaching Institute. If you want to do one-on-one -on -one coaching to learn to live a self-led life without alcohol, then reach out to me at thestrivemethod at gmail.com and I will have your back. We'll get on a call and we'll talk about um, if we're going to be a good fit together and how we can help guide you to find uh, the power within you and the unused resources in, within you to live a self-led life, okay? And last but not least, I would just like to say a big, huge thank you to the Strivers. Uh, currently 20 of us in our small, intimate group who are paying a monthly subscription and who are kicking ass living a self-led life. I love every single one of you. And lastly, our producer, Stan, uh, without whom this would, what, would not happen. Stan is a proud Ukrainian. He's currently... Um, under assault from uh, Russia, uh, as you're fully aware. So please, 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 can you all, every single person listening to this, uh, send Stan your love, whether in prayer or email to me at thestrivemethod.gmod.com. And if you would like to donate uh, to Stan and his family to help them in this time, then again, reach out to me at thestrivemethod.gmod.com and we'll discuss how best to do that, okay? All right, until next week, Oh, one last thing. Relationship month at Strive. It's not too late. Come and join us, okay? It is uh, $99 a month, but the value you get is incredible. And if you don't like it, I'll give you your money back. No problem. But you can learn so much this month about relationships. So just email me at thestrivemethod.gmail.com with more information. All right, much love, everybody. Take care.